Hey there, thoughtful listener. What is your number one lead generation blocker? Head to upmyinfluence.com slash quiz to find out right now. That's upmyinfluence.com slash quiz, and I'll share why you aren't getting the intros and sales you deserve. We're also actively seeking guests for this daily commercial-free entrepreneur wisdom podcast. Agency owners, consultants, coaches, and B2B service providers, head to upmyinfluence.com slash guest. And I'd love to promote your expertise to our amazing audience. Let's get on with the show. With us right now, Michael Selden, you are the CEO and co-founder of Finless Foods. I am so excited to have you on the show because you're doing something that I'm such a big fan of. And it, you know, it's all around, you know, kind of food tech and where we're headed right now. And I think that um, you and I were talking beforehand, so I don't want to steal your thunder by stealing your phrase, but we are in a food renaissance right now. And Finless Foods is one of the one of the players out there that's doing really, really good stuff. First off, Michael, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. All right. Tell us what Finless Foods is doing in the world. And by the way, Finless Food is F-I-N-L-E-S-S foods.com. And real quick, you're going to find out why you use the word Finless. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Finless is an alternative proteins company. We focus on seafood. Um, so what we're doing is we're creating seafood that uh, tastes incredible, is really nutritious, is very affordable, and is actually very convenient. Um, and we're doing it entirely without animals. So the company was started by myself and my co-founder. We are biochemists. What we did is we took some cell samples from real bluefin, pulled these cells out, and have grown that up into cell-cultured sashimi. So on the cellular level, it's the same thing that people are eating today, but there's no mercury, there's no plastic, there's no environmental destruction. We can make it for considerably cheaper. We've got a lot of advantages. Um, and then also, if you're looking at our website, we have also spun up a plant-based side of the business. So we now have a plant-based tuna product as well. It's 10 whole plant ingredients. We just started selling it. So you'll see that in restaurants within the next mm. few months. That is exciting. And I think of all of the food categories or all of the meat uh, alternatives, you know, chicken's tough just from an economic standpoint, because chicken is so cheap right now. But sashimi strikes me as a really good opportunity because price per pound, you have a little bit more room to work with to replicate that and still kind of keep costs relatively equitable. Is that is that kind of part of your, part of the strategy or part of the opportunity here? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we were the first cell-cultured seafood company and we were one of the first cell-cultured anything companies. So the very beginning of this whole like lab-grown meat, lab-grown seafood movement, we were like the third company to ever like incorporate. And we picked seafood for a reason and we picked bluefin specifically for a reason. And that's one of the big reasons. It's one of the most expensive meats on the planet. And that's for a bunch of reasons, one of which is uh, it's currently not farmable economically or at scale. Um, and the other is that like humans are fishing the hell out of these species. It is yep. very much uh, on and off like the threatened species list, which is a problem, problem for ocean ecosystem, problem for our diet. Um, and yeah, so bluefin is like 20 to 40 times more expensive than things like chicken or pork. So it does yeah. make it a lot easier because what we're doing is we're taking pharma technology and adapting it to food. And that's complicated, um, but basically it costs about the same to culture a bluefin cell as it does to culture a chicken cell. So we picked bluefin right off the bat because we knew it would be just simpler to get under the cost structure that you're talking about. 
What are the consequences of not addressing uh, the the issue of overfishing and and just some of the impacts the environment and you know just kind of the the, the kind of the food chain? Because right now I know that this is an issue. This is a problem. Overfishing is causing problems. But if we were to collectively make a dent in this problem, like you know, let's say we were to even a 5% decrease in, in the amount of, you know, um, freshwater, you know, open fishing that we're doing right now and just the impact the environment, like what's possible here. And no, let's talk about the scary part. What's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 5% would be enormous. It would be incredible. Like part of the thing is that the ocean ecosystem is one gigantic complex system. And if part of it collapses, the whole thing collapses. Tuna, of all varieties, are an apex predator. They're like the jaguars of the ocean. People think of it as like a doofy thing in a can, but yeah. they are like over six foot long. They're apex predators. They're some of the fastest things in the ocean. Um, they are, they're beautiful. They're huge. And without them, um, it messes up the entire food web. It allows the things that they eat to just overpopulate, which then will underpopulate the level underneath that um, and create chaos. So we need to preserve tuna. They are a very important uh, part of the ocean ecosystem. And if the ocean ecosystem collapses, there's a ton of bad things that will happen. Uh, one of which is that like our seafood supply will go away. Uh, over 50% yeah. of seafood today is still caught wild. Only 50% is farmed. And then on top of that, uh, the ocean is a massive carbon sink. And so if we mess up the ocean ecosystem, that's going to release a massive amount of carbon to the atmosphere. Um, and it's really hard to estimate how much because thankfully that's never happened. The ocean totally collapsing because that would probably be a permanent change. But um, it's estimated that about like 50%, uh, and we would basically double the amount of carbon in the atmosphere if the ocean ecosystem collapses. So a lot does hinge on tuna continuing to exist and specifically on bluefin even continuing to exist. You know, this excites me so much because, um, you know, yes, there there are some dire things if we, if we don't address this. But then, you know, I look at, you know, where mankind has come together and, you know, even stuff like, you know, when we talk about environmental concerns, it, it we don't have to become, you know, Greenpeace, you know, loving, you know, you know, we can use science, we can use um, capitalism to drive innovation that is ending up good for all. See, you know, look at like you know, what happened with the quote unquote hole in the ozone layer is just looking at, you know, some of the dramatic reversals that we were able to do because mankind said, oops, CFCs are not good for the environment. Let's stop using those. And again, I think that this is, you know, you and I were talking beforehand, I believe, you know, and I follow kind of the food tech uh, subreddits and stuff. And I think it's just so exciting because there's so much innovation happening right now. And, and you know, the innovation that's going to lead toward, um, you know, making it economically viable so the consumers will just, hey, choice between A, B, which would you rather have? Well, pff, I'll take, you know, I'll take, uh, you know, and I don't want to say lab grown because I know that, let's, let, let me ask you about that. Um, is are there, and I think stigmas are a thing that maybe in years past, I think I, I'm starting to see a little bit of dissolving there where people are much more open to that. But can you talk just for a bit about the science of that, why that this is not only a better humanitarian option, but I mean, it's just, there's no no reason to be concerned. Number two, number three, like it's actually, this is a much, much better solution all the way around. Yeah, I mean, like this, um, it's considerably like better for everyone, basically using this type of supply chain. 
Um, we can make tuna with no mercury and no plastic. Um, yes. Large apex predators like tuna, that's becoming a concern for people because they're eating the rest of the food chain, which is getting that stuff from the bottom. So it's uh, yep. all these things like mercury and plastic are getting concentrated up in the big apex predators. So that's a big advantage to people. And yeah, like what you were saying, you know, we need to basically realize that like not everybody is ready to completely make all of the ethical choices on their purchasing, including food, including everything beyond food. Um, what we need to do is just make the ethical and sustainable choice, the thing that people want for their own reasons. And that's why we think with this technology, the real selling point is like we can make something that is fresher. We can produce fish that is very close to you, regardless of where you live. If you don't live near any water, any ocean, river, lakes, and if you don't live near the specific species you're interested in, using a finless production system, we can still make it locally for you. And some people are super in on like the local shopping thing. That's great. But even for people who don't care, this just means you're getting fresher food. You're getting fresher food. You're getting it for cheaper because it's going to be closer to you. So there's less transportation costs and you're getting mm -hmm. it with less of a potential for contamination. Like you're just getting something that you will like more. And that's, I think, one of the big advantages here. Um, we want to shift the entire supply chain, not just focus on a few ethical consumers. Oh, and there have been examples of this happening in the past of people replacing commodity, uh, a commodity with something that is better for the people who are using it, even if they don't care about necessarily the ethical ramifications. The big example that everyone uses on this is uh, whale oil. So, you know, whale oil was something that was used a lot. It's not that everyone one day woke up and was like, you know, I think it's wrong to kill whales. It was really that like a better alternative was invented and people replaced it. Um, there was an intermediate, but eventually we landed on kerosene and now we just use kerosene instead. Kerosene is better than whale oil. It's cheaper. It works better. It's easier to transport. It's easier to keep uh, like like usable. Um, and then a lot of this like um, pro whale sort of like activism could start and actually start preserving the, the, the animals themselves. But really it was this like technological change that enabled a supply chain change, what you're talking about. That got us here and so we think that basically we just want to make it clear to people that this is better for them uh it is a very very safe technology like this is already uh you know animal cell culture is already how we produce things like vaccines um which are injected into people which is <laughs> a way higher standard of like you know safety than just eating something you know you can stand eating something a lot easier than you can stand with injecting it into yourself so yeah um you know, this is like tried and true technology. We're not really like putting anything crazy onto the market. And, um, you know, I think that people hopefully can see that. You know, I, again, I'm just, it was funny because we were just talking about lobster, you know, with my kids and we were talking about the best lobster I ever had was on the coast of Maine. It was fresh caught that morning, really you know, we were able to have it. And like, and he was like, you know, I was like, what do people in Kansas do? You know, is it a typical kid question, right? It's like, well, by the time it gets there, it's like, ah, it's been frozen for days and days and yeah. it's transportation and they got to process it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But, you know, using your example, you were just talking about, you could set up, uh, you know, a finless manufacturing manufacturing and in, 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 in Kansas. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, Kansas becomes an epicenter for fresh, uh, you know, sashimi. This is exciting. Yep. That's the idea. And yeah, I think people don't realize, especially people in like these larger cities, which have like really robust supply chains. And a lot of us are like on coasts generally, if we're in a big city. But yeah, people just don't have that. Like, I also didn't understand that growing up as a kid, I grew up uh, on the North Shore of Boston. And so lobster was very easy for me to get my hands on. Like you can go to the grocery store, get a lobster, they'd boil it for you, put it in a bag, you could sit on the curb and eat it yourself. Um, and then I like went and moved somewhere else where they didn't have that. And I was like, oh, you just don't have lobster and they're like no i was like where do you get it they're like we don't <laughs> and yeah. that was a big like you know 
people are used to the supply chains that they grow up with. And if you don't move somewhere else, you don't realize that actually the supply chain is pretty tenuous for a lot of these things that are wild caught. You can't produce lobster everywhere. And so just not everywhere gets it. With Finless, you can. And another thing, um, so I'm sure you know, and, and I don't know if our listener was aware, a billion crabs yeah. vanished from the Bering, Bering Sea. It, 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 I, I, not the expert on this, but basically just a, a collapse of the yeah. system happened. And that's a risk. That's also a risk that, you know, if for whatever reason, you know, um, you know, something like this were to happen to all of these other vital, you know, animal, you know, food sources for, for the population, this starts to, you know, these are bad situations. So again, if we can use science to de-risk you know, food collapse or, you know, you know, collapse of the animal kingdom, that's also pretty helpful uh, that, you know, it wouldn't have other devastating effects on, uh, you know, certainly not just the price, but the availability of the foods that we're used to having. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, supply chain resilience. Like, I'm very interested in trying to preserve the environment and trying to save what we have, what we have. But, you know, the reality of the space that we live in now is that, like, the climate is going to change. Like we are uh, like sort of past the point of no return. And so we need to build a more resilient food system that's actually going to supply people with what people want. So even beyond environmental sustainability, it's exactly what you're talking about. Like we should be able to get people crab when they want crab, even though, you know, scientists have been saying, we've been saying for years that basically just like crabs are very susceptible to changes in ocean acidification. The crab shells start to dissolve. It causes a huge problem. And then like suddenly when the crabs disappear, people are like, how could this have happened? And I'm like, there's been articles about this for a long time. Um, so, you know, it's 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 funny and frustrating that people are, are sort of like blowing up about it um, because it's been talked about for so long. However, mm -hmm. you know, this solution not only can help preserve the environment, but it can still help provide things like that for people, um, even if the like ecosystem is out of whack due to our working with it. So this can serve both purposes. It can be a climate change mitigation thing uh, so that it can actually get people the supply chains that they're used to, and it can help reduce our impact on the environment to prevent future climate change. Mm. I love this. Um, man, I'm sorry. I've been talking so much about the science and like the economics of this. Um, where does Finless, like who do you work with and who is engaging? Like what is, how does the business of Finless work? Hmm. So yeah, we're a venture-backed company. Um, you know, we're, we're very Silicon Valley in that way. We have investment from some Silicon Valley insiders who have been really fantastic to work with. Uh, we have Tim Draper through his personal fund, Draper Associates. We have Tom Chi, who is the Google X guy um, through his fund at one. Um, we recently, well, recently, we a year ago took in a series B from uh, Hanwha, which is a large Korean conglomerate that wants to bring Finless to Asia. And so on that side, we have our investors oh. who are wonderful um, and, a, and a bunch of others besides. And I don't have enough time to name everybody, uh, even everyone who's been helpful. Um, we also, you know, right now, since we're selling this plant-based product, we're going through Gordon Food Service, which is a, a large distributor in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, we're also going through Cheetah. Um, we now are just started, uh, we just made our first few sales, although it's not fully public yet, but we've got two universities on board. We have two restaurants and then two poke chains all in the Bay Area. So that'll start launching within the next few months once they put it on menu. Um, and then also, I mean, most importantly, we work with our employees. Like we consider like our company culture a really core thing of what makes Finless Finless. And um, we put a lot of effort into making this place a good place to work and to recruiting from the right places. So, you know, we work with the uh, biochem community, with the pharma community. We work with like the future of food community, with the agricultural community. Um, we need a wide range of people who can do a wide range of things um, at Finless. So, you know, we need to cast a wide net and pull in the best of the best in order to make this work. <laughs> 
Nice little fishing metaphor there. <laughs> yeah, they're unavoidable. So, yeah, <laughs> your website, finlessfoods.com. Who should be who should be connecting with you and, and what do they do? Yeah, so right now, um, we're building up the business side of the company. So we're pulling in marketing and salespeople. We're pulling in people who can do social media. Um, we're interested in partnering with um, chefs, restaurateurs, operators. Um, we're always interested in talking to potential investors. Um, we're going to be building a large-scale production facility within the next two years, and so that will require some serious capital. Um, but yeah, if you think that you can be additive, I mean, please do reach out. We have finlessfoods.com. Um, there's a chef portal on there to reach out if you're a food service operator. And then, um, you know, I'm on Twitter, uh, Mike Selden FF. If you're looking for me there, please feel free to DM. I'm happy to talk. Um, but yeah, we've gotten this far with the community helping us. And so we think uh, it's always useful to get connected into whoever thinks they can be helpful. Heck yes. All right. Finless Culinary. Oh, I was on the other website, finlessfoods.com. I was going to say, I, was, I started browsing around on your other website, Finless Culinary. This That's where the exciting. chefs go. It's good. Yeah, this, this is really, really exciting. Um, Michael Selden, again, co-founder and CEO, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, and uh, again, thank you for being a guest and, and, and thank you for the impact that you're having in the world. Thanks so much, Josh. That's really, really nice of you. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. If you're a listener, I'd love to shout out your business to our whole audience for free. You can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or join our listener Facebook group. Just search for The Thoughtful Entrepreneur in Facebook. I'd love even if you just stopped by to say hi. I'd love to meet you. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. We love our community who listens and shares our program every day. Together, we are empowering one another as thoughtful entrepreneurs. Hit subscribe so that tomorrow morning, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you for around 15 minutes each day. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.